Hey guys, what's up? I'm Shama. And I'm Tiffany, and you're listening to Chai Tea Party. We are a podcast that recognizes the underdogs, the brave, the creative, and the slightly off in the Desi community. Was 
not even out of anybody's mouth. It was more, <laughs> oh, she had a heart attack. She had a heart attack. Mm. Even I went along with it. And oh, started, wow. My family's not the first family that I know that, that had said that. Um, trying to give another explanation so that people don't talk. People don't say these things. And what makes me so mad is that people are like, well, didn't you see it coming? Or didn't you see the signs? Mm. Or didn't you do this or that? I'm like, I just wanted to, like, smack everybody. Yeah. Up. Like, this is not the time or place to kind of talk about this. This is not when we just lost my mom. Like, let us breathe. Let us process it. And so, like, I'd call my best friend, and she, she's like, wait, you're, you're joking, right? I'm like, no, my mom just passed away. It was like a shock because nobody would have thought that that would happen. Mm-hmm. And especially thought that, no, that wouldn't happen in my family. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know. And so it was one of the hardest things. And also, like, a little bit backtracking, um, my mom, my at this point right now, a year, this is 2011, 2010, my grandma had a congestive heart failure. And in that, um, she was still, like, on life support at this time. So we had all that stress going on, too. <laughs> so it was, like, nonstop. And so people started coming, 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 and I couldn't even sleep by myself, I like, didn't want to eat, I couldn't, I just wasn't doing a lot of things to the point that, like, my friends would come over and, like, you know, hang out with me to the point that at least I would fall asleep and they would leave then. Mm-hmm. It, it was really bad. I couldn't mm-hmm. do anything. And my dad, my aunt, like, a lot of people still st- stayed. And then, um, and, like, I went back to school the following Tuesday. Oh, my gosh. Well, also, I did it because I I needed to get out of the house. I didn't want to be at home. Being at home is, like, that's where she passed away. Mm -hmm. So I had left, and I I went to school. It was only three hours, but also I wanted to be mindful of, like, my classmates because we would have to do certain partner activities, or we'd have to do it outside of class. And so I just, like, didn't want to uh, try to take away from other people's time as well. So it was a little bit of a good distraction to go. But the hardest part, um, like, back to, like, that Thursday when my mom had passed away was that going upstairs and kind of, like, saying goodbye before. And it's just, like, as much as I didn't want to see her and see her body, it is, like, an image that will probably never go away, as hard as it is. Probably will never go away. And that's the last memory I have of my mom. And I didn't say, I didn't, and what sucks is what's the hardest thing is that I I sometimes feel that I wish it was something else. I wish it was a different, I wish it was a medical issue or something else that like I could explain and be able to justify it. I I can't justify it because it was her decision. It was something that I don't know if she was unhappy with. There was a letter. Still to this day, I have not read it. I feel like if I did that, that's like the final goodbye. Even as much as I'm in the mental health field, for me, that's like the last thing left in a sense. And reading it is like, all right, it's goodbye. Like, I'm moving on. So I feel like until I'm not ready for that, then I'm going to wait until then to kind of like do that part. But right now it's, I don't know, I'm still thinking, but still working through it. And so... Um, I felt like I just, one of the things I, I tell friends or other 
people that ask me for advice on mental health, like seeking a therapist and wanting to go into therapy and stuff, a lot of the things I tell them or mention is that one of the things that I did was I avoided my work. I, I mean, not my work. I avoided really talking about my feelings and processing what happened at that time. And now it's like starting to catch up with me slowly in different areas of my life. But I wish I had done it at that time kind of worked through it or started to do it then because a month after my grandma my mom passed away my grandma passed away so like we went from like one funeral to another funeral and I already knew that like we already had a feeling that this was gonna happen it was just like getting ready for another thing I think that reality finally finally set in after after my grandma's when everybody left and it's me my brother and my dad and my Dada sometimes if you would be in India or not here back and forth back and forth so it was just like non-stop after that and then like the year after that like my cousin's parents passed away and then the year after that was my grandpa my dad's uh my dad's dad my the grandma was my dad's dad as well and then last year my mom's cousin passed away from suicide in India trend that I see so much that it's not it's happened in my family twice now and it's something that I was just like even gives me more of a reason to speak up and say something and so the first year so I really really wanted to do something and try to use what I got like what what I'm doing right now so in 2012 is when I finally got into my doctorate program in clinical psychology so is there a way that, a way that we can go back really quick before we talk about so you got into the mental health field like under, during your undergrad your as well undergrad. i'm sorry you got i got yes uh during undergrad right yes yeah, so like what, what did you do for your what bachelor's? did you do for your what did you do for what your bachelor's your ba- Oh, okay, yeah. So, funny story. Um, I used to make fun of my roommates for um, being psych majors because I was like, oh, you guys are taking the way out, you know. Like, psych is so easy, whatever. And I was actually pre-med. And I was miserable. I hated it. I could not for the life of me get through chem. I hate bio. But it's something that's also engraved in our culture. You have to be a doctor. You have to do this, this, and this. And I hated it. And um, I had a really bad car accident in 2008 where I fractured my pelvis. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was a struggle. I had to, um, I went to DePaul University for undergrad. And so luckily I had that six week winter break. But then the five weeks after midterm, I had to leave. I couldn't walk really for a little bit. Like I had to use a walker. Mm-hmm. And friends had made lots of jokes about all of that. But um, at that time, I was so angry about, like, what had happened, and when I returned back to school, I started to notice a little bit back in, the mistake I made was, I jumped back into what, where I left off. I didn't ease into school again, I picked up where I left off, and that was my first mistake. I started to get really bad anxiety attacks. I couldn't sleep. I wasn't eating. I couldn't be by myself. Like, all these signs I've never experienced before. And it was a very scary thing for me to even encounter or even experience. Um, In the morning, I started listening to the radio so I wouldn't be alone. Mm -hmm. 
I started sleep watching TV so I wouldn't be alone. It's to the point that like some of those things I still do today, but now it's like out of habit. Not that I necessarily need that, but now it's habit. And I don't know how to sleep without some of those kind of like coping skills that I've kind of developed back then that I just haven't stopped. And then, um, so DePaul University, I love, love, love their counseling center. And so it took me so long to even walk in there and make like a intake appointment. And I was so nervous because there was this, um, I forget what it was. I had to walk past this like Indian, uh, like there's this organization that where there were students that would always be there. And I was so embarrassed where I was just like, oh my God, like they're going to know I'm walking towards the counseling center in the back. Like I was always so paranoid doing it. Are you walking in? And then the thing is during my intake, they asked me, they're like, do you want an Indian therapist? And I was like, oh, hell no. (laughs) I don't want anybody Indian. And the reason why was because I was the fear. I was so scared of the judgment, the fear, like what are they going to think of me? Like the whole respect thing and elder, respecting our elders, everything that we've been in, like that's been engraved in us. I'm like, God damn, like, I'm trying to do something, but it's like everything that's in my head that we've experienced. And so from there, I um, finally did. I was like, you know what? Let me just try it out. And it ended up being the best experience of my life. Yeah. And the point that I changed my mind and went into psych. So my roommates had a field day with that. With that. <laughs> I was a psych major. Um, it was my junior year, spring semester. That I changed. Oh, wow. So, I'm in order to graduate with everybody in 2010, I wanted to make sure I doubled up on classes. I tried to do as much as I could to finish on time. Mm-hmm. It, that was really hard to do, try to finish up all that. Um, and so, but every class I took, every project I did, I tried to relate it to anxiety or depression, or something that I could understand, like, what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And that's where my interest started to peak, and to the point that I did interview for, um, I got denied for the doctorate program at a university in Chicago, okay. so I got applied for their master's program. So I got an interview, but I didn't get it. But I thought it was still awesome that I still got to interview, and I didn't even think in a million years that I would even get a chance to. So then once I graduated, I took like six months off trying to see if I, where I wanted to go, either PT or psych. And so I applied both and I ended up getting into RGC down in Chicago. And so I went there for like a little bit. And then as soon as I started, all this stuff happened. And so in a way, I kind of distracted myself with school. And I just put that first and focused and focused on that, that a year and a half later, I finally got into the doctorate program after being rejected years in a row. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Good for you. Yeah, seriously. Way to persevere. <laughs> I'm not the best mm-hmm. test in the world. And that was one of the biggest barriers I had because I wasn't like the ideal student that they probably wanted. Mm-hmm. Since then, I've done so much more stuff than mm-hmm. probably than the certain schools have accepted. Mm-hmm. Oh, which is fine with me. I got in, you know, a little bit of a detour, but I got it. And so it hasn't been the easiest journey. I've had lots of ups and I've had lots of downs. And throughout grad school, I transferred um, schools in about a year, two years ago now um, to the school that I'm at right now. I'm at the Illinois School of Professional Psychology at Schaumburg. Mm-hmm. And I finally done all my classes. Nice. And 
my dissertation right now on South Asian mental health and suicide prevention. And then I'm just doing my therapy practicum at a psychiatric inpatient hospital in the area. And so it's not easy. It's hard. It's exhausting. Um, but with that, like, I tried a lot to do more advocacy uh, outside of it. So my interest is, you know, South Asian mental health. It's an interest of mine. It's not uh, for therapy-wise. Yes, I definitely do want to incorporate that in. But I don't want to end up hating what I love and what I want like kind of keep that separate so when I apply for my like internship which is like our residency in psych um I'm going to do more inpatient work but still that is always incorporated in it it's always going to be there with every patient that I'm working with but for like the prevention and awareness stuff I keep that on the side that's something I want to build and grow and try to become an expert and be able to publish more in that so I've tried to like I already know what I want to do but in 2014 is when we st- I first started um, Team Patel, which is, which is um, part of the American Foundation uh, Chicagoland chapter. And every year in the fall, they do a walk, around like a three-mile walk-ish. And it's like right by like a drive. So it's a very nice scenic route when you're mm-hmm. walking. But the first year I was there, I was surprised at how many other minority individuals were there. But then I also noticed how much of a lack of South Asian, um, like, South Asian individuals that were not there as well. And so uh, the first year, we had, I, my, I made my family come, and, which is so good, though, that they were willing to support me and come to the walk and join and just be there with me because it was my first year. Mm-hmm. And also at that same time was the first time I shared with the world, in a sense, like with through Facebook, mm-hmm. this is what happened to my mom, and I am starting this team. Bec- no, not no, that wasn't it. Sorry, that was 2015. But 2015, I started the team, uh, but I didn't say who I was walking for. I discreetly like posting every like stuff about it. But um, when people would like donate, and then there's a comment section, I didn't disable it. I still let people like say like, "Oh, this is for your mom" or whatever. I was a little bit nervous too. But then I was like, "Oh, nobody's really gonna read it." Like you know, other but you never know. So that was a little bit hard. And the moment that I um posted that I wanted to do the walk I had an I remember I, a friend of mine had to reread my post for me because I was so nervous posting it it's like putting it out there in a mm-hmm. sense but actually and then on my mom's four years in March 2015 uh, March 10th 2015 I finally said for the first time who I was walking for and why I was walking and that was like the first time I've publicly acknowledged it in a sense my close friends and everybody yes they definitely like everybody knows every every Indian person knows but nobody heard it from my mouth no what I went through what my family experienced what like kind of like what people said about us like still to this day that I still cannot believe this that somebody said this that we wanted my mom to pass away for the insurance money what I'm not, not kidding you. I wish I knew who said that because I would smack them because that's how heartbreaking it is to even five my years later. My heart hurts. I, like, oh, I'm so mad 
said to hear it like this. But then, like, how dare somebody random say something like that about your family and they don't even know what the situation is? Give up everything in the world to have my mom one more time, even if it's one more time for an hour. I would give up everything just to see her, and even like, um. I would choke and say the only time that I really felt connected to my mom again was when I was dreaming and it felt so real to the point that I would have the dreams where I would have to try to figure out like how do I reintroduce my mom to the world again and not and explain that oh she didn't pass away she's still alive. But like I wish I was like I wish I was hallucinating like that and getting those kind of dreams or like even I wish I saw her like even like I'm like I wish I saw her that's still something reality is she's gone and like you know part of it is when people are like oh she's watching over you she's so proud of you and all that I'm like I can't feel that like I don't know what it is or maybe if it's just like me but I have like the hardest time like no I don't feel like yes I'm sure she's watching down over me or she's like you know praying or like keeping an eye on me but I was like she's physically not here I can't have that connection like no matter how hard I try for me I need her physically here is that and hard I- to like when people are like you'll be able to feel her around you able to do the stuff and you're like I don't is that difficult to um yeah I had to explain to like a therapist that I saw, that I was seeing but I was like I don't see her and she's so proud of me I'm like no I'm sorry to tell you, but she's physically not here. And I feel like such a hypocrite at times because I've said that to other people and being in the mental health field, I was like, it sucks because I can see both sides of it. I myself on the therapist side and I can put myself on the patient side as well. And it sucks, but I, it, that's something I can't and I can't change anything about it. And so um, with like all of that that had gone on, it was just something that even like made me more angry that I found out that somebody had said this kind of stuff. And I'm not the first person that Lydia said this about. I've heard from other like people like different things, and it just sucks because you're not like it's like you're not um you're not in my family. You don't know what's going on, but a culture is about talking and gossiping and just sharing a lot of stuff. And it's just like, secrets in the community it does happen to your family it's like oh now you don't want to talk but mm-hmm. when it was family you had no problem running your mouth mm-hmm. and I've had people like you know say certain things about me I mean to my face and even at Monday people what? have said no oh, yeah like no shame and I just like bit my tongue and didn't say anything how how can you remain so calm about that I would have lost my mind like boiling up and pissed off afterwards and so, like, it was something that I was so mad about, but I was just, like, also remembering that, you know what, like, saying something, giving them that reaction or whatever it is, is not going to do me any good. I don't want to be this angry person. I don't want to do anything that's going to make me feel worse about myself and make take away from everything that I'm trying to do. And so the moment I started sharing what my mom and I went through and – like what my mom went through and what my family, like the after effects of it, a lot of people don't talk about that. What happens to your family after somebody commits suicide, especially in our culture? I remember I hadn't even been that long, and people were telling my dad he needs to get remarried. What? I was, I was so mad. I was so mad. Like, Why can't was, people mind their own fucking business? Right. Oh, like, my you, God. Who are, you, who are you to have 
any opinions on anyone else's life. I mean, that's a whole different conversation, but how dare they? Oh, he doesn't know anything. Like, you know, you need to do this, this, and this. I'm like, I'm trying to go to grad school. <laughs> my life, I feel like, has stopped for the last five years. Like, taking care of my dad, my brother, um, being at home. I finally moved out last year in October, so it's been a year. But I'm only in the city. But I come home all the time. Mm-hmm. My dad. What are you going to do for me if I don't match next in February 2018? If I don't match in Chicago, what are you going to do without me? Like, I haven't been home. I just came home after a week. And my dad's like, my dad, like, can't live with, like, he needs me more. I think he has, I, after my mom stepped in, like, it kind of changed where my dad and I got super close. Mm-hmm. And he's a lot closer to me than I think he is to my brother. The, the bond and connection he has with me, he doesn't have that with my brother. Are you I, younger or older? I'm, I'm older. My brother's 27, almost 27. Okay. In two days. I'm 29. Okay. And so it's like sex because it's all that pressure that I have to, like, I feel like no matter how much I'm trying to cut the cord, it is not happening. And I'm sure and, that's hard to know that, like, you know, one side really needs you, but you're trying to focus on, like, progressing your life as well and doing what you need to do for yourself and I mean I can't imagine like how how you balance that time and and still do everything that you're doing it's I mean that's amazing uh it's so um it's so so hard and um it's one of the things that I like still try to struggle with like when I was in my first doctorate program before I transferred I the biggest thing I can always stress to people is self-care, self-care. Mm-hmm. Always stress self-care. And I did not. I mm-hmm. um, put school first, my home, everything like that. And then I put, like, friends. And then I put, like, you know, relationships and everything like that after, like, my school and then my dad. Like, that's, like, I felt like I had so much to do. And I felt like some people, did, like, it was hard to try to explain, like, oh, I can't go out all the time, or I'm not in the mood to go out all the time, like, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, or I don't know, maybe I'm, like, just down and sad. Mm -hmm. Definitely impacts a lot, and it's so, it's exhausting to try to keep explaining it, but then, like, other people are probably exhausted from constantly hearing the same thing over and over again. So it's like a cycle back and forth. But then um, a friend of mine from college kind of, like, you know, everything that it was shared online and becoming more more and more public about it. Um, a friend of mine online, um, not online, from college, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she's like, oh, I want to introduce you to somebody that's like um, working on Project 375, which is um, Brandon Marshall's organization, which was um, uh, co-founded by Brandon Marshall. And they're doing a lot of work with mental health, and eradicating stigma and just posting more articles and just doing events that they do in like was in Chicago but now has transferred to New York but they do paddle battles throughout like the different major cities just to raise more awareness about um, like mental health and seeking services and what's out there and the effects of it and including like you know different celebrities that are in it him, him Brandon like Brandon himself who also, who got um, treatment at McLean Hospital. I don't know if I ever say that hospital's name right. <laughs> but for, um, I believe it's like borderline um, personality disorder. And I think that's such a huge thing to do. 
be kind of step out there and share your story. And also, especially in being an athlete, a public figure, like even somebody like as famous as he is, that's a lot to step out and do. Mm-hmm. I'm nowhere near that, but it's still a small step that I'm taking. You all got to start somewhere. It's a personal, It's it depends on your perspective, right? But you're, you're, the feat that you took on with your situation, it can't be compared, but it still is hard, I think, you know? You're still coming public is very difficult, especially in that community that's very judgmental and has the feels that they have every right to say whatever they want mm-hmm. to you, as you clearly know. <laughs> Back, and I was like, all right, well, here, if you want my thing and opinion about it. And even when I go to India, they're all like, what do you do? Like, what do you do again? I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a psychologist. And they're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And the crazy people. I'm like, no, it's not crazy people. That's where the language is wrong. And still, mm-hmm. I have to correct my dad. Mm-hmm. My teaching me, my parents have grown up teaching me, but now I feel like the roles have reversed where I have to do the teaching and educating and letting my dad know, no, you can't talk like that. You can't say things like that. You can't call people crazy. And most of all, you can't keep saying and dwelling on the fact if your mom didn't do what she did, we wouldn't be like, we wouldn't be in whatever we're, whatever we're going through right now. And I like just kind of like sometimes walk away or like try to give him a different way to look at things because the fact certain words we choose to say mean carry such a heavy weight or a different meaning to every different person. So we got to be mindful how we talk to people, how we approach things and not be judgmental or putting the stigma and shame on even trying to go talk to somebody. Even trying to get my dad to maybe possibly go to the doctor to talk about maybe a panic attack or anxiety is something that I was like, no, too bad. Like, you have no choice. I'm going to make the appointment. But that's because I thought, like, he was, like, really, really maybe needed it at that time. And uh, it's, like, super – it is very nice that my family does support me in everything that I do do now. But I don't think I would have done anything like this if I hadn't experienced what I had gone through. And friends always say, like, you know, you're so loud and everybody can hear you from a mile away. And I was like, well, I might as well use my voice for something then. Um, and yeah, <laughs> it is. I like try to use I'm trying to make a joke out of it. Yeah. But with that, like, um, so I got connected with, um, like, that the organization and through Emily, who I've been, like, working with, um, I also got involved with McLean Hospitals. It's deconstructing stigma. A change in a thought can change a life. And so this is their mental health awareness campaign. And they started it. I, I think I joined on earlier this year. And it started off just with a brief interview. And then it went on to like a more in-depth interview, which I still got to edit the narrative of how I wanted it to be, which was nice because my it was still my words. And it was still my story, not through somebody else's. And so through that, I got to, um, you know, I had a photo shoot. Um, I think it's on my Instagram, one of the pictures. It was from July, but I can always send you guys another one. Yeah. yeah. But it was so cool. It was, like, on my rooftop in the city. And it was just, I thought we were going to go around the city somewhere. But I was I was in an Indian dress. Like, I had my mom's picture. I'm with the heart around it and, like, everything. And I, I told them, I was like, I want to keep it close to my culture. This is what my culture is. This is what the Indian culture is. And I was like, I want to try to keep it as much as close to that to it as I can. So the exhibit goes, opens up, um, the unveiling of it is December 9th. 
And um, with that, with the social media part of it, I get to write a blog piece for Huffington Post. Oh, um, hospital, and it could, I have yet to write it still, but ideas about it. And that'll be my second, like, newspaper-ish, like, um, writing publication. I've written last year for the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. If you just Google, like, Daily Herald and then Dimple Patel, um, I'll have, uh, it'll come up online, too. That's awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Were there any signs that your mom was struggling with mental health before her suicide? There were slight signs here and there where... You know, it was so new to us. It was something that we had never seen. And I just didn't know how to handle it, even though it was only one month in. And I've had experience with therapy myself. But I just didn't know how to approach it, didn't know how to handle it. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do in life. And So there was we were, no, like, dialogue between you and your mom, like, oh, we're kind of going through the same thing, or we both no, I kind of the family, or anything like that? It was, like, something so different and so hard that I just did not, like, I don't even know if I connected it, or because I was so busy with school, trying to figure out where I was going to go to grad school, trying to do everything like that, and having, like, a part-time job, and mm-hmm. then picking up and dropping off my grandpa, like, every single day, my dad would drop him off, and I would almost sometimes pick him up at night from, like, the nursing home. So it was just, like, nonstop, like, work all the all the time with different stuff that I feel like maybe at that point, like, I was like, okay, right now I can't deal with this. Like, I didn't even – the thought of suicide didn't even cross my mind. Like, I didn't even think that that would be a res- end result of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew that she kept doubting herself, wasn't unsure, uh, like, low self-esteem, doubting everything. She, like, ran – my dad's, like, one of my dad's businesses, like, she used to do that, like, fine. But then she slowly started to doubt herself. She had family members come from India, too. And that was just, like, a hard pressure for her. And since that, they gave up their green cards because they didn't want to be here anymore. They didn't like it here, the lifestyle and everything. I think that was also a big stressor for her as well. That was her only family here. Mm-hmm. I stay here. And so there was just, like, a lot and just things telling her that she wasn't, like, the best mother in the world. Her kids didn't just, like, her. And it, it like, made me so mad. And, like, my my dad got blamed for my mom's death. And I, like, snapped at every single person. I was like, he is not the same. We all are. We all had a role in this. We all had something in it. Do not come there and sit there and just blame my dad for it. Because you know what? There's a lot of stuff that she was dealing with that we couldn't, like, we didn't know how to handle. And we didn't intervene in fast enough. When we did intervene, it was probably already too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like, you can't sit there and try to blame one person. It blows my mind that that you guys had this awful thing happen. And it seems like you guys just had like an army of people coming at you and just do that do that just defend yourself. yeah it sounds like you're just constantly defending yourself and your family and your mother and that i mean it there's no way that that is something that you should have to be dealing with when you're trying to grieve and when you're trying to you know continue on with your life as well i i feel like i i didn't even think about it as like something that i was defending or even anything and so with that maybe it kind of relates but i think that's why finally in 2004 14 when I started and then in 2015 when I was just like this is what happened and this is my side of it mm-hmm. so because I I don't know like five years later 
four years later, I'm like, I'm exhausted. I need to say my, like, my side of it. Right. What are some things that people don't know about suicide that you would want them to know about? Like, or, and that can be related to a perspective on, like, from your mom's end or, like, from you guys and the aftermath of it. What would be something that you think is maybe a misconception or just some sort of information that you would want people to know about suicide or mental Um, illness? A tough question. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say, I think the first thing is to, like, also, like, you know, part of what I wrote in my dissertation is a lot of what I've come across is that people are, are, individuals are not seeking services due to the fact of stigma and shame and trying to keep things within the family. And often, like, the there's a higher rate of dropout as well. And it's also due to, uh, like, you know, their, like, the fear of confidentiality being violated, the therapist being maybe inconsiderate to your culture and not understanding your culture, or if they are Indian, um, you think that they're going to judge you or think all these different things about you. But I think the one thing is that suicide, I feel like it can be preventable if early intervention is happening. But the thing is, the biggest thing is it's okay to ask for help. And you'd be surprised that how many people are struggling with depression, anxiety, and other mental health issues. But the thing is, because of the fear of what other people are going to say about your family or yourself or anything, we're not utilizing these services that are out there. And some people may not even know where to start. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing is, the one thing is, I don't know, it's such a hard question to even answer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, even with my experiences and even trying to be there in this field, sometimes it's like, it's like even my patients, like, I just want to hug them sometimes. And it's like, it's going to be okay. Like, it's going to be okay. But it takes time to kind of work through some of these things. You can't just push it under the rug or just avoid it. It's always going to come back and it's going to surface. It's better to work on them. But it takes time. That was kind of like a, a good segue too to my last question is, I mean, being having this background and then working with people who are dealing with their own mental illness struggles, is it hard not to get attached to people? Yeah. Oh yeah, the counter-transference and transference stuff it is huge. We talked about that in our supervision at like practicum one day, uh, which is practicums like our rotations that we call in psych. So it is very, very hard sometimes. Like I've had to... The reason why, like, I started to go back into therapy or, like, try to, like, when earlier on I went back was how am I going to be a competent psychologist if I can't work through it or even say my mom committed suicide or what my family went through in order to have that, like, make sure that I'm not being biased or not letting that interfere with my treatment um, with my patients and everything, I had to make sure that I can work through it. And that's why I started earlier because it is hard sometimes. Like I have to stop and be like, Oh, like I have to sometimes leave it at the door when I'm leaving the hospital, get up when I come. And they always recommend therapists to get their own therapist because you have all these biases and you want to make sure they don't come out during your sessions. Lee Martins and Lee in 2015. And I'm like reading off my anticipation a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, that additional research is still needed to understand the attitudes towards mental health services and culturally sensitive services that are available. And that has been coming up a lot. Having culturally sensitive services available 
for not only South Asians, but other minorities as well. But there's a lot already on, like, help-seeking behaviors, but it's still understanding the attitudes towards mental health is still something that still needs to be worked on. Especially with the cultural nuances then, like, I mean, I mean, is there anything that exists already that's like that, like, for South Asians in the U.S.? Uh- like, you know, it sucks because it's not like a whole, like, one central database that, here, this is where we need. There's, like, you know, there's the South Asian Public Health Association, SAFA. There's um, all these different areas. There's Upnagar in Chicago, which is for domestic violence issues uh, for individuals there. And there's there's different places. Different places have different things that are there. But I don't think that people are aware of certain things that are out and also aware of, like, how many people that are um, South Asians that are working in the mental health field. And, and so it's more so, like, bringing awareness to that. Mm-hmm. And then even to add to that, like, awareness, but also being able to create that safe space to say it's okay to go there, get help, you know? Because how do you go up to your friend and say, hey, I know that you've had a shitty situation with your fiancé. Maybe you should go see someone before you decide to get married. Like, that kind of shit, and it's like, that can be very offensive to someone, you know, and you can't just casually, like, email them the website, you know, so, like, to have that conversation is also so important, so there's so many different things that we all need to work on. Yeah, and I completely understand with that, like, you have to be comfortable, and you have to be safe with them, and also, like, I remember last year, in our 2015 walk, there was this, um, the girl that messaged me on Facebook, I didn't even know her, and she messaged me saying the same thing. Like, I don't, I don't think we've met, but, but I've been dealing with uh, my mom's suicide, my mom's death for about like ten years as a per, mm-hmm. no, as a personal matter in quotes is what she said, and the fact that she said that I saw your story is mm-hmm. made come out and like join you at the walk, mm-hmm. and last year so she decided to come out, started posting things about it on Facebook, That's and. Awesome. I, even that was just like, oh, wow, like, it takes one person to kind of start mm-hmm. and leave or even to say something, and it's a lot easier for somebody else to follow or join mm-hmm. be, be afraid to do it themselves, and I knew that there's something, like, there's something that I've always wanted to do, and I feel like I finally know what I want to do in life years later. Uh, like in my mid twenties is when I like figured out what I wanted to do, but even still, this like it, my direction still changes. Mm-hmm. That's where I'll go. But like right now, I feel like it's the time to start making the connection, start sharing the story, and who knows? Like come December 9th, how big this will get, how big a project will get, and I I don't know if I'm the only like South Asian one. But they told me that mine was, like, my mom's story, my picture, was going to be printed regardless. So it's going to be displayed at Boston Logan Airport, Terminal B. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot and, of East Coast people, so our East Coast listeners, go check it out. Do you also feel like it's helping your healing process to talk to other people, like talking them through it, knowing that you had already done that and you're also in the field? A bit, a little bit, I think gotten a little bit more let's see I've gotten better at like speaking to others about it mm-hmm. I also always have to remember that you know it's their story like I've already experienced those certain things and I gotta remember that they're at a different place than I am and if wherever they are we all have a different journey we all have a different path but working with them and and I always recommend to go to therapy because you know 
there's only so much I can do right now. I'm not, I'm not licensed, you know, I'm not, so I can talk to you as a friend. I don't want to violate those rules, and also I'm still in grad school, so I don't want to make sure I cross, I don't want to cross those lines. Just to be on the safe side, I always recommend, like, you know, seek a therapist. And also sometimes I do, like, tell them, I was like, you know, if you're feeling a certain way, seek out a psychiatrist, but also do both, therapy in conjunction with medication, because I think that is beneficial. But then also don't over-abuse anything. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And then um, there's some, I think, other facts that I, like, saved out that I was just going to share, but... um. So something else that I like, you know, what I was touching on in my dissertation was that, you know, family conflict, depression, anxiety, domestic violence, acculturation conflicts, academic stress, or interpersonal stressors like relationships do can contribute to higher rates of suicide attempt or completion. And um, when I was doing like more research, trying to get more updated stats of facts and figures about like current suicide rates and um in 2014 oh it's from last year no two years ago i think um let's see where did he go okay yeah so according to the um national crime records bureau ministry of home affairs in india the total um suicides during 2004 was 1100 Sorry, 1,000, oh my god, what, I can't even read this right now, <laughs> I was just like, what am I doing, um, it is, it was pretty much over 130,000, wow, oh. yeah, like, slightly under 132,000, I was trying to read the exact number, I'm like, right now, I'm just going to go into it, <laughs> that's so many people, that's two years, as of two years ago, and then in 2007, the suicide, suicide was the second leading cause for deaths for Asian Americans, age 15 to 34. What? Oh my gosh. And that's 2007. So I still have to get updated um, within like, you know, the last like nine years and stuff. I have to get updated. Um, yeah, but those are within the last couple, like keep last us, nine years. Yeah, keep us posted on uh, uh, any new information that you get on that. That's like... I can send you the um, crime little report thing that I had to dig through. Yeah, please do. So what I'm trying, like, what I'm trying to do is, like, you know, bring in, like, also, like, the stuff that's going on in India, as well as, like, trying to bring in here, and how a lot of it, even when we move to India, we hold on, from India to America, we hold on to some of our traditions and cultures and values, and that it's some, sometimes some individuals, like, you know, God, well, how what's the word that I'm looking for? Like, they'll adjust better than certain people, like certain other family members, and that could either lead to stress or conflict, but can also impact suicide rates as well. And it's just a lot, and it's becoming more and more common that people see it, it's like, you know, I must, like, I did this, this, and this, or I did that, but see it as a way out. But I think people forget that there is an aftermath what about the people that are left behind? People like me that have gone through it. And every day, it's like, you know, when you see, like, your best friends, like, shopping with their parents and their mothers for their wedding and everything and planning all of that, like, it's one of the hardest feelings in the world. And despite all the things that I have accomplished and I'm going to accomplish, and my dad's sisters and aunts and everybody else that are going to be there, it's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same when you don't have... Um, it's not the same when 
you know, certain things. It's like, I have had to YouTube how to put on a sari. Because, like, you know, usually my mom did that for me. Right. It's just like, I'm so sad. I was like, I wish I had learned how to, like, learn her idli and some bar recipe or something. Okay, so we're going to play a little this or that type game, which we have brilliantly named this or that. Here's the five questions. Oh, God. I don't do well with those kind of questions. <laughs> no, no, no. They're fun. Like, they're they're it's a like, lot more silly. It's like way too... Uh, it's like apples or oranges. oranges. Like, you know, like that kind of stuff. But. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very indecisive. <laughs> yeah. Pick the first thing that comes to your mind. No going back on it. And it'll be real quick and it'll be fun. <laughs> okay. Um, being a therapist or going to therapy slash having a therapist? Oh, God. Therapist. Wait, Wait, where are you going? <laughs> Being a therapist. <laughs> That's like saying yes. <laughs> I mean, I, the funny thing is, I'm pretty sure we both knew what you were yeah. saying. <laughs> Getting a massage or a manicure pedicure? Oh, God. I would get massage massages because I feel like I would need those every day. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Going to the movies or Netflix or Hulu at home? Uh, since I have no time right now, I do Netflix and Hulu at home. <laughs> Reindeers a... or unicorns? Neither. Gotta pick one. I'll go with unicorns because they're more colorful. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, yeah reindeer only have two colors. Right? <laughs> I don't know with the reindeers, you get the, like the rainbow behind it. Yeah, the sparkles and the glitter. Yeah, make it fun. It's generally happier. You guys animal. know that they're both fake. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're taking this one too. Just two questions left for you. So I know that you did, you talked a little bit about self-care and like how you're very big on it. We love the idea of self-care. We think that it's super important and no matter how busy you are, it's it's important to take like just a little bit of time for yourself, either every day, every week, whatever time you can afford. So um, what are some of, as you as a very busy person, what are some things that you do for yourself as part of your self-care routine? Uh, I do get my nails done all the time. <laughs> Perfect. That was a good question. Um, the biggest thing is um, I, I'm working on it right now. Like, I'm still, I think it's a working progress. Right now, in the midst of, like, doing my dissertation and writing it, I am trying to use my self-care stuff more often. But I do love watching TV um, and getting my mind distracted from the work and watching comedy. Um, let's see, who else I mean, my dogs are a big factor. We we got brownie after, like, a couple weeks after my mom passed away. Um, or I think a little bit after my, either my mom or grandma passed away. And he is such a big support for our family. Now my dad can't live without him. Aww. And 
And he's like, at first, he's like, what is this? And <laughs> <laughs> that brownie in the parking lot of Chipotle. That is how we bought him. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's he's our little first one. Um, and then Cookie, we got on a whim. I went and got him and bought him. My dad still does not know I bought him. He thinks <laughs> him to me. So we're both hiding something from him. <laughs> uh, still to this day, I don't know if I have the... I have it in me to tell my dad I paid for him. <laughs> Even though it was less than 200 but uh, um, he is a little fat cookie monster, like I like to call him. Oh. So my dog's names are Brownie and Cookie. That's and before, I used to love baking. Even though I'm not the best at decorating, I love baking. I like making cake. I used to make cake for all my friends' birthdays Aww. and stuff. Um and I also called it stress baking, too. <laughs> um, I don't do that as much right now because my apartment's not that... My kitchen in my apartment's not that big. Um, let's see. Yeah, just, like, trying to, like, go for a little walks with them or just go out with friends, like, knowing that, like, I need to make an effort to see people. Mm-hmm. Or else I'll, like, get so into school and work and I'll be exhausted that I just don't want to see anybody. Mm-hmm. I got to try to do more of that. Nice. But also making sure that you're taking enough time to get sleep and rested and starting off the day with some positive thoughts. Like sometimes if I'm like really, really stressed out, like I have to remind myself like, okay, today's a new day. You're going to get through this. Or sometimes like I know a while back when I was like going through so much crap, I would do like the motivational app and like set a timer. So that every day, like seven in the morning, I would get a quote. I love quotes. I try to use them all the time, even when I'm working with my patients. So I try to use that as a reminder of things and then also reminding myself of all the things that I've done and I'm doing and giving myself credit. I think a lot of places where we forget is giving yourself credit for the things that you've done and that's a work in progress. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. That one's great. Um, So we started this new thing uh, a couple weeks ago now uh, where we ask all of our guests one physical and one non-physical trait they love about themselves. We are almost ingrained to not love ourselves so much or not embrace what we do like about ourselves because it seems selfish or you're gloating. So we really just want to embrace like the things that you like about yourself. It makes us feel better knowing that other people are just so proud of what they've done. Or And sometimes, you know. like you said, you don't think about those mm-hmm. things that, you know, we've had guests say like, oh, I, I have no idea. And they have to like really sit and think about it. So I think it's a good reminder mm-hmm. for yourself to know that you're like beautiful inside and out. <laughs> so I think uh, the one thing that I love about myself is that I'm super social. I think I can get along with anybody. Um, I think that I, I mean, everything that I've done, everything that I am doing, I think that that helps with it, with my personality and being out there. Um, one physical attribute about yourself that you like? My straight. Your teeth. What? You have oh. a really nice smile. You do. <laughs> <laughs> my straight teeth, which gives me a good smile. Yeah. <laughs> you have a great oh. smile. So cute. <laughs> oh, is there anything that you want to plug, by the way? Like any of your own? Well, just wait for my article that comes out on Huffington Post. Awesome. We'll do. Blog. But yeah, that's about it. Okay, cool. Uh, Twitter, I have. Uh, um, Twitter is dimplep23. Nice. Okay, cool. So the walk, the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, they have um, annual walks throughout every state. Mm-hmm. And so there's one that, so I have the largest South Asian team in Illinois. Nice. Wow. Maybe I should have mentioned that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so it's like they do one every year. So what you can do is, if you want to get involved, is you can just um, go to their website. I think it's AFSP.org. And, and there you can just um, find your local chapter. You can find out how to get involved. And it's what you make of it and how much you want to get involved. Okay. You can create your own team. And you can have people join with you, and you can start raising. I think the donations for this year are going to end December, but you can always start in January for next year's team, next year's walk. Well, thank you so much for doing yeah. this with us and talking to us today. It was so yeah. nice to finally like be face to face. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay, I was like, I got you guys on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere else. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, and dude, let us know if you ever make it out to Detroit area. Oh yeah. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Great talking to you. Bye. So if you like chocolate-covered pretzels, your dog, or warrior Indian women, share this with someone you like or don't like, someone who deserves a break from their busy life, someone who is interested in a mental health profession, or would like to get involved with the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Such a head on my shoulder Where you lead I go I told ya There can be no danger A stranger Tell me if the feeling flows both ways Help me find a way round through this maze Light me up and keep me high for days Never let it go down Slow down Maybe my path do this but I knew that I had to push aside those fears because how else are we going to make a statement or raise awareness if we're not sharing the stories that we go through